Well, good morning. And welcome to December. It's only November, but we went, uh, Mary Lynn was laughing over breakfast. We went from September to December in an instant. And so here we are. But it's good to be together as God's people to worship this day. I appreciate you coming out in the midst of the bad weather and thankful that we can connect to folks across the live stream. Our call to worship this morning is a responsive psalm. It, you'll see two themes. One, it's from David, and I'm preaching about David today. It's also about giving thanks. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and here's why. It's one of the hardest holidays to commercialize. So I'm pushing back on forgetting about Thanksgiving. We're gonna start early and run late. Is that fine? Okay, here we go. Let's read responsively the Psalm of David. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. This is the word of the Lord. Our hymn is number 473, Come, ye thankful people, come. Let me ask you to stand if you're able, and we'll sing together to the glory of God.
Amen. Be seated, if you would, please. Again, as I've welcomed you, we're glad to be here together in this place, as well as across live stream recording, letting us join your space for a time of worship. Uh, when weather is inclement like this, that's become a marvelous uh, opportunity and connection. Uh, after the service today, we encourage folks to linger a bit for some fellowship. There'll be coffee and juice and goodies. I'll also uh, do one of my kind of follow-up where I love to kind of interact with folks after the service. You can ask questions about the sermon. We can dig into particular texts or just life in general, any of those sorts of things. Um, I'm anxious to highlight so that everybody understands uh, with weather and with what we've been through with COVID the past several years, we've begun to do more online. Part of what that means is that you would have received an email Thursday at three o'clock this past week that included information about the budget. We've done the round tables. We've done several of the other uh, opportunities for interaction. But we're asking across that if you would give us a vote, yes or no. And you'll find that in that email from Thursday at 3 p.m. If you didn't get that or if that doesn't work for you, I want to make real clear, please just call the office on Monday morning and we'll uh, help you navigate that over the phone. So we're looking for the most effective way to uh, share with people this information, get involvement in all the details. You know, sometimes with budget, you want some detail, but not a lot. You know, I've been at these meetings where, uh, you know, eyes just glaze over. We, we want to give you what you need to prayerfully be a part of where God has taken us all together. So look for that in the email or call the office or even speak with me after the service. We'll be glad to make that available. We're looking to facilitate things in every way we can. Um, want to take a, another moment and just reflect. It was great last week to gather with the Holland Box Society and to uh, have a moment of transcendence. I heard several people say that in marvelous ways. So, to worship God with those who've gone before us, the cloud of saints, and to think of um, all that God has been doing across centuries now. Very thankful for that chance and thankful for the support of so many being a part of that. Um, a second thing that I want you to be aware of for upcoming this week, Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll have a special service. It'll be here at 10 o'clock. We always fill that out with musicians and Thanksgiving songs. There'll be preaching of the word. There'll be prayer. We're also going to ask folks to come forward with an offering, an expression of gratitude, and with that to also receive communion. So that'll be different than in the past. We're going to ask folks, you may want to take the Neighbors Plus bag that we passed out last week or that's available in the hallway here. Bring food if you don't get, have that bag. Maybe bring a canned good. If you don't get to the grocery store, uh, bring a quarter, a five spot. Be ready to kind of express a heart of gratitude. That's what we want to do with that. Express our gratitude and receive God's grace. And we'll do that around the table. So I hope that gives you kind of a sense of where we'll be going on that day. Um, that'll be Thursday. I'm cooking the turkey early uh, that day and then gathering with as many folks as I can to celebrate, to watch football, and to do those later American festivities related to Thanksgiving. You will find in your bulletin this morning 
um, with the sermon outline, I've included a quotation from a book written and published in 1662. It's an eyewitness account of the first Thanksgiving. If anyone ever tells you that, oh, Thanksgiving wasn't a holiday until uh, Franklin Roosevelt declared it, say, right, that's when it became a federal holiday, but it's rooted in our history as a nation. And just think, folks, Massasoit and 90 braves, Native American warriors, showed up and stayed for four days, and they fed them. That was a marvelous time. So take advantage of that quote. I also blogged on this, some really important stuff. Press that on with you. Um, last Saturday, before the Holland Bach, we had a craft sale and secondhand market. Dee and Christine are still kind of recovering. That's a major event, but I want you to know, you, through your donations, through your help as volunteers, through your purchases, we were able to raise $6,000 for missions. Uh, through Heart of Wyke, investing in the advancement of the gospel of God beyond these walls. That's one of the things we're about. And so that's why I'd like to go next. We're going to get a brief report on a mission trip to Ireland, first with a video and then with two folks. Let's see how this goes. That was a cute little short snippet of the spaces that um, we were privileged to work on. So Hardawake sent a team of about 11 people down to Ireland. I should say, by the way, my name is Dee Stahl, in case you're not sure who I am. Sorry, I didn't do that first. Um, and I uh, help coordinate missions here at Hardawake as, long as well as the uh, congregational care stuff that I do. So um, just a short time ago, a few weeks ago, 11 people from Hardawike went to uh, Ireland to um, serve with Pastor Luke, who was our pastor for a short time over at Fusion. He and his family um, traveled to Ireland and now are serving there at the uh, community Nazarene Church. And um, we while we were there, um, we were able to, uh, with your generous support, furnish, they're called porta cabins. They were, are what we would call uh, like a shipping container. Um, so they're uh, glorified porta cabins. We furnished them into children's ministry spaces for their kiddos, which in effect um, over doubled the children's ministry space that they were using. If you could have seen the spaces they were using, it was this tiny little closet that was a nursery and one classroom that all of the uh, children that were older than nursery age were in through fifth grade. Um, so. Um, Thank you for, again for all of your support of missions because we were able to uh, furnish two porta cabins for them and, and double their children's ministry space. Um, but this year, this trip was a very different trip than we've done in the past. We usually have done build trips when we go 
to um, serve in different areas and different ministries that Heart Awake supports. And this trip we were calling a serve and learn trip. And I would say learn, we certainly did, right, Deb? Um, Deb Whitbeck was on the trip with me, one of the people from this community, as well as Brooke Vintel, sitting in, sitting in the corner back over here. Um, so um, I'm going to kind of let Deb speak into a little bit more what the learning part of our trip was. Um, let's see, Deb. Was there anything that you learned specifically about um, Christianity and a different culture, um, about Ireland that really spoke to you or had an impact on you? Yes. Um, Growing up, I always heard about the Irish Catholics. We had an opportunity to meet with Luke and his family last summer, and he did say that um, the Catholicism in Ireland has had a fall because of the um, scandals that have gone on with the Irish priest. And because of that, a lot of Christianity has just gone away. So they're rebuilding. They're very ecumenical. They're very open. But it is um, a rebuilding time. I was quite impressed with what I saw, and we had an amazing trip learning about Christianity in a new way in Ireland. Can you tell us just maybe a specific God moment or something like that that, that you experienced while we were there? Absolutely. We had two or three sessions at the church in the morning where some of the different staff gave us some strong moments, but the most impactful one was uh, Luke led us on a trip to the west coast and I think we were his pilot group but I think he'd like to do this again. We had four stops that were both spiritual and physical. We stopped first at a, a set of mountains called the Twelve Bins and he read us from the Psalms about the creation story. Then we went down the mountain a little bit to a former Irish school for boys that were too naughty or orphaned and they were abused there. That part was the fall. We walked through graveyards and memorials of the children who died of abuse or committed suicide. Luke's father had been there, and he was an alcoholic as a result. And Luke's brother was along on the trip as a spare bus driver. Our third stop was to a glorious nunnery that had once been owned by a rich man. He donated it to the nuns. And in there was a cathedral with um, a Christ suspended from the ceiling with holes in his hands. And it faced an east wall with a beautiful stained glass window. And that was the, re the resurrection. You could see in the morning, you could see light going through his eyes. And each one of these stops, Luke read us a, um, a passage. And then finally, we took a a resurrection? No. What's the baptism? New creation in the Atlantic Ocean. Those of us that wanted to took a dip in the sea. That was amazing. Sorry. I talked too long. No. You're fine. <laughs> That's great. Uh, would you recommend other people to go on this trip if we do it again in, in a year or two? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, Debbie. Appreciate it. Um, that's just a, 
small snippet of what our week looked like. Um, Debbie hit spot on. Wednesday was a day that I don't think we could recreate if we tried, um, spiritual um, and physically. Um, so thank you again for supporting us uh, here at Heart Awake, supporting missions as strongly as, as you do. Um, and just one more plug I'm going to put in there since I'm up here anyway. We are recruiting right now for another trip, not to Ireland, to the Dominican Republic. Um, and we're, we're going to be taking a team from February 19 through February 27. That will be a build project. So if you have any interest in doing something like that, contact me. Thank you. Thank you, Dee and Deb. Again, one of the ways, you know, the gospel is not something we hold to ourselves. When Christ comes to reign in our hearts, he sends us. That was his last instructions. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And go means a change of location. Um, friends, it's gospel-centered faith that redeems us. It's gospel-centered faith that has brought us together. And it's gospel-centered faith that sends us. Uh, let's use the Heidelberg Catechism question number one for our connection to the historic faith revealed in the scripture and carefully preserved across the centuries. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. At this point, before we sing our second hymn, we'll want to dismiss our kids uh, to children's ministry, the K through three class that's downstairs. Some will be staying here, but let's stand if you're able and we'll sing together hymn number 521, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And while we're doing that, I'll ask kids to head out with Miss Janet.
Amen and amen. As you're having a seat, uh, let us turn now and we'll worship the Lord through prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are inheritors of marvelous things whether it's the opportunities and freedoms we have and we celebrate with thanksgiving, whether it's the love of family, whether it's the faith that goes back all the way to Christ and all the way to Abraham who points to Christ. We thank you that you have blessed us through those who've gone before us. And so we give you thanks for family, for history, for your great hand in history. I pray you would help us to be faithful in our moment as those who've gone before us. Faithful to Christ and the teaching of uh, your faith. Faithful in service. Faithful and unwavering in kindness and humility. The work of your spirit. We pray for Heart of Wake Ministries, Father. We pray for this budget vote and as we try to navigate our way through this uncertain future and this upcoming year, be with us as we move together. Uh, we pray your blessing, your provision, and your guidance. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you that for us the gospel is hope and joy and is clearly proclaimed each Sunday. I pray for Pastor Aaron as he preaches at Watershed, for Pastor JB and Fusion. We know that in just a few hours, Pastor Florencio will stand right where I am and in the Spanish language, make the gospel known. Last night, our friend Pastor Jeffrey Hoff and Angel Community Church in Muskegon, we thank you for the fellowship of hope in the gospel. Bind us together as your people. Father, help us to navigate these times in the fullness of your grace. As we prepare for Thanksgiving and Advent, a season uh, where we remember uh, the incarnation that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, give us hearts of gratitude that see, even through tears sometimes, your good hand at work. You've called us as your people celebration, and so we join this day. Thank you, Father, for the missionaries you send from celebration, like um, Deb and Brooke. Thank you, Father, for uh, the life that you're giving us. We, as we get to know each other, shared names, shared faces, shared experiences, today we gather around a table, shared communion in Christ. Father, bind us together to uh, pray for one another. I'm going to encourage you in this moment of silence. Pray for those with a physical need. Uh, pray for those who are grieving. Pray for those who need discernment and guidance. Thank you, Father, that your heart hears a heavenly chorus of intercession and prayer in this moment. Father, we thank you that you've loved us deeply in the gospel. And so we pray for our community. We pray for those in authority over us, particularly having just completed this election cycle, 
a transition. We pray, Father, that you would have your hand on those who step back and those who now step forward and into leadership. Especially we pray in our state and uh, the various districts with our Senate and our House, our executive branch. We pray that you would guide those who are called to serve and that in your mercy you would guide them for the benefit of your people and the advancement of your gospel. Father, we thank you that the world that we see each evening on the news is different than the world that you see. For through eyes of faith, we see as you do that your kingdom is advancing, that people are coming to faith all across the world, that even where there's brokenness, you are redeeming those tears. Even where there's violence, though they meant it for evil, you will work this for good. Fill us with a confidence of your gospel, a humility that comes because Jesus is the one who saves and not us. A love that first fills us and then moves through us to those near and far. Father, teach us to pray day by day and increasingly to make prayer uh, the place where we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, not simply lift up our own fears and sorrows, but in relationship with you, we get our leadership, our provision, our guidance for the day. Hear us as we pray together, just as Jesus, you taught your people. We use these words saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. We continue to preach through the scripture from beginning to end. We're looking at um, uh, a new season as we prepare Advent and it's coming. We're calling this the King is Coming. And we're going to look at kingship for several weeks here. Um, in the story, which I hope you've been able to get and are reading chapter by chapter each week, the story for this week, uh, chapter 11, is called From Shepherd to King, and it includes these passages from First and Second Samuel, from First Chronicles, and from Psalms. It kind of brings together the material about David's rise into his calling as king. Uh, next week, we'll look at David's falling from his calling as king. He was, after all, just a human being. So this would be the week that we are working through this passage. Um, and the sermon, I want to look at what David had to say. Two speeches that he makes here. And Deb, I'll ask if you could advance through the scripture and I will read it. I'm going to be reading off the screen. So let's press through that. Very good. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, that's Goliath the giant, you probably know that story, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, well, go and the Lord be with you. Later on, David speaks to that giant Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered there will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you that you have loved us enough to condescend to speak into human language, to take the words and the actions of sinful, broken people, and yet to show us something of yourself. Make us mindful that even in the challenge and the violence, that you are at work to bring about a kingdom of justice and of peace where there will be no more sadness, no more dying, for the old order of things will have passed away. Take these records, even as you faithfully preserve them. Now illumine our hearts and minds to receive your guidance, the hope that you have for us. Fill us with grace to know you and to trust you in all good things. For we pray together in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The story of David and Goliath is probably one that's widely known across our culture. It's 1 Samuel 17, and the setting is this. The Israel under Saul is trying to navigate its borders and boundaries and stay safe and from the attack of the Philistines who are led by a, a giant named Goliath. He's their champion. And so they're at war with one another, and at one point there's a stalemate. Goliath the giant comes out and says, send someone to me. Well, all the Israel army is frightened and won't go out until this young, obscure at this moment, shepherd by the name of David comes. He does what God has taught him across the years, and he becomes a picture of the great deliverer to come. But you know the story the slingshot, the stones, the victory, and you see its reality, chopping off heads, leaving his carcass for the birds. Again, we need to remember the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the revelation of a good and true God lived out through imperfect, broken, indeed sinful people. And so God wants to teach us some things about himself as king 
even through David, who at this point, whoa, what do you make of this? If you think David is kind of hard to understand in this moment, wait till next week. You see, David was a human being like the one sitting next to you. We're all broken. We all need a Savior. But there's two speeches that David gives in this passage. Someone says this, but David said. And it's that contrast where we begin to get a sense of what was in David's heart that led him to speak and to act differently. And that's part of what we need to see. I did some Bible study this week, and there's 16 different passages in the Scripture that you would call but David said. And if you want to get a sense of what makes David different than the people of his own time, different than his peers, you look at these but David said passages. And today we're going to look at four things that grow out of these two speeches, these two statements that point to us about his different. The first thing is this, David had faithfulness in small things. You read in verse 34 that your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now, let me fill you in if you're not aware. In that day, the career of shepherd was hardly something you'd um, want to pursue. It was not a well-regarded position. It was for those people or that person and whoever had enough wherewithal to get out of that, they left it behind. It was not the kind of position you wanted your kids to aspire to. General, king, priest, maybe. Shepherd, oh yeah, he's the one who's not doing so well. You see, David was learning to trust God in small things, and he was faithful in small things. No one would go off to university to prepare for the role of shepherd. But there in that shepherd where he faced the lion and the bear, he learned to trust God. And this is the, the calling on each one of us. Trust isn't something you'll need for later. Trust right where you are is where God is teaching and working in your life. Right where you are. That means that students need to learn to trust God right in the class where they are. That if someone is going to college, it's not a time to, to figure out what you want to do with your life. It's a time to prayerfully hear what God is calling you to and to be faithful and to trust him in that. All of us are facing some challenges these days. I'm no prophet, but I can tell you this, in months to come, everyone in this room will be cutting back on some things financially. Inflation means that the money we use to purchase things is worth less and less. And so we will be making some cutbacks. I encourage you not to live with fear, but to let that become a test of your own heart what is it that I value? What is it that I don't value? As our money becomes worth less, we'll be able to prayerfully consider what is it that I'm going to make sure to keep and what is it that I will drop? Let that 
become a searching of your heart to consider those sorts of things. David was learning to trust in small things, like a monthly budget, like a major at college, whatever it may be. He was learning in a small place as a shepherd. And that was preparing him for bigger things. He would go on, and in this moment, we see him as a warrior because of what he learned, being faithful as a shepherd. He was now ready to be faithful as a warrior, and he would go on to be faithful as a king. But in all three places, shepherd, warrior, king, the issue of his life was trust in the moment. Have you ever seen that in your own light? Oh, my circumstances have changed. Sometimes I've been a pastor. Sometimes I've been out of ministry. Sometimes it's been a large church. Sometimes it's been a small church. But again and again and again, it's about trust. Will God be good to his word? Will I live as if his word is true? Will I live with a confidence in him? Will I live with a heart and ear turned to the voice of my good shepherd? You see, we learn to trust in the small things, and that prepares us to trust. I used the word bigger things on Wednesday, but yesterday as praying through the sermon, I decided that rather than use the word bigger, I'd rather use the word next. You see, I'm influenced by the culture of the United States, this consumer culture. I'll admit to you, I have a catechism panel in my house. It's big. And I've seen it in your house too. That catechism panel where the culture tells you what to love and what to desire and what to pursue. Now, we used to call it a television. But I want you to think of it as a catechism panel because it's teaching you what to love and to pursue. I discovered something about my catechism panel. You can make a good living at a catechism projection by taking money from people to bear false witness against their neighbor. That's what I'd call the political ads of the last season. TV stations made money by helping others bear false witness. That's our catechism panel. God is not preparing us simply for bigger things. He's preparing us for the next things. I need to die to that kind of American growth obsession that says bigger is better. For gospel-centered believers, every calling is a position of service for the benefit of others. I told you last week about my dad who did that as an engineer. It's easy to see how teachers and doctors do that. But people who serve at every place, it's not simply for what you can acquire, but it's for what you can serve. I remember as a seminary student at the Mainline Seminary, hearing that 80% of calls in ministry, when a, when a minister gets a call to move to a new church, 80% of those would be to a new church that was either bigger or located in Florida or Southern California, 80%. Now, I understand the dynamics of being a pastor and trying to feed your family and opportunities and all that stuff. I've, I've gone through this. But no wonder the church in the United States looks as weak and as worldly as it does if church leaders are only pursuing bigger and better. Perhaps God would want to send our best 
to the places of deepest need. Imagine faithfulness in small things, being prepared for faithfulness in the next things, whatever those are. Second thing about David is this fascinating question, who's at work here? Listen to this from 1 Samuel 17, 35 through 37. I went after the lion, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the Lord. Now, you'd think David was blowing his horn about what kind of warrior he was. And certainly it was his hand and the sword that took the lion and the bear. But listen to verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And so the question is this, your servant has killed, but the Lord who rescued, how do you balance that? Not so sure. Live into that tension, friends. It will take stepping forward, but it is the Lord who is at work. I think the balance will come in this way, learning to act based on trust. Learning to act based on trust. Where has God called you? He called David as a shepherd. And so as a shepherd, it was right. And you could trust God when we live as a shepherd that he'll help me take care of the lion and the bear. When David's a warrior, as a warrior, he can stand up for his people. David will become a king. As a king, it's right to administer justice and safety and protection. What has God called you to? That's where, by living right, he will be at work. This means something for parents. In God's vision, it's right for parents to sacrifice for their children and sometimes to make hard decisions. I don't dwell on it, but many of you know what I feel like the research and wisdom calls us to with 14-year-olds and cell phones. Parents, blame it on me. But to be a parent in this day and time means making some hard decisions. Oh, but everyone... So what? Parents serve their children by doing right and protecting them. Uh, Leonard Sachs, the pediatrician that I like so much in this area, would say, if you're the parent of a teen, it's going to be a hard season loving them well because you're going to have to make some hard decisions. If you want affirmation, don't look to your teenager. Go buy a puppy. But to serve a child well. Adults, like teachers and coaches, they're called to protect children as an extension of that parental authority. For me, personally, it means that I'm called as a husband to lay down my life for Mary Lynn as Christ loved the church. He died for the church. My career is not about my self-fulfillment then. It's about care and provision. Oh, hopefully. And fortunately, I've enjoyed my work along the way, but I've never lost that priority. As a dad, it means laying down a life for the wife and for the children that God has called me to serve. That's just my life. Where do you work? 
where are you in the community? Who is at work? Friends, learn to act based on trust. And this is not some after-the-fact deference. That's a, a kind of false humility. This thing that, well, I'll give God credit when we win, and I'll take the blame when we lose. That's a function without a God. God may, this means wherever God has called you, do right by God, and he'll be with you. Apply that wisdom and move in that freedom. David, the other thing we see, third thing in these speeches, is that he comes at the challenges of life with a different set of resources. You come against me, he will say to the giant, but I come against you. David, he has a slingshot. That's what he's grown accustomed to. And you'll see in the larger story, he'd rejected the army of, armor of Saul. He wasn't going to use ar the armor from a different person. He was going to be faithful to what God had trusted and taught him with. I come against you in the name of the Lord. Friends, David trusted in the weapons of our true king. I'm a little hesitant, frankly, to use that word weapons because we are so quick to move to thinking of violence and power, quick tongue, sharp comment. But the scripture is clear. God has empowered us with a different set of resources. Paul will write in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. There's a contrast. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds, spiritual powers and authorities. One of the greatest Examples of this in my lifetime is Dr. Martin Luther King. If you've read or if you observed, someone like Sheriff Bull Connor, who represented the authority of the government, he could send his deputies out with nightsticks and with water hoses and with imprisonment. But to march with Dr. King, read the book, Why We Can't Wait, to march with Dr. King. People had to make a commitment to nonviolence. You can't join that army if you're going to fight with the weapons of the world. People had to make a commitment to meditate daily on the character of Jesus Christ. He's got 10 commandments to follow and to march with him, Dr. King did. Another one was to choose reconciliation rather than triumph. What would politics look like in our moment if opposing candidates would value reconciliation higher than triumph? I don't know how to answer that question. The weapons that God equips us with, they may cost us our life or our position or any number of things. They're different. I, you come against me, he says to Goliath, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. We need to be a people who refuse the weapons of this world. Oh, I get it. We can say this or do that or pull together this coalition. That's how the world works. Have you repented? Where are you in the place of prayer? Finally, the thing that stood out to me was in all of this for David, it's so that all will know. 
He says in verse 47, all those gathered here will know for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David, nowhere here is an example of a good behavior that you need to emulate. Oh, do like David and then you'll get that. No, in this story, he's doing okay and that's good news. At another time, he's not. But the God who makes himself known is the same. David's story is recorded and preserved here so that you can know more about the Lord and what he has done for you. There will come, as we read this story of David and Goliath, we look beyond him. There is one who will come, a true and perfect king, who will be the true and perfect good shepherd. David will trust God and risk his life for his people. We see that here, and we see it even more in the king to come. Jesus will trust his father and not simply risk his life, but give his life for you and for me and for all of God's people. Because this is a well-known story, ask, what does it say for your life? And then listen. I'll often ask people about David and Goliath and say, what, what does that story mean for you? And when they say, well, I read about that and I'm reminded, I need to be brave. That if I'll just stand up, I can, God will help me conquer my giants. Well, if that's what you hear in this story, you've not yet been gripped by the gospel of God's grace. This is a story of a de deliverer that God will send. That when I'm scared to death and retreating in fear in life, threatened, that the Lord will be my provision. It was for David, it can be for me, that the bear or the lion or the giant or an enemy nation, whatever it may be, the Lord can be trusted. And that's true whether I face a medical diagnosis or the sorrow of an estranged child or a shrinking income from government inflation. That whatever it is I face, Jesus is a hope that I can follow. God will send a true and perfect deliverer. He sets us free at the cross. He calls us to live out the life in service where he places us. Friends, come and follow. He is a good God you can trust. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you've loved us deeply and we see that most clearly at the cross. For while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died. And in that death, he conquered death so that he might give to us life. And in that life, he equips us to go forth and to serve. In this moment, uh, wash over us the fullness of the gospel. We thank you for your kindness and grace. Let's continue to kind of prayerfully meditate on the good truths of God. We'll prepare for communion and remain seated as we sing the first hymn of Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Let me give you a, a bit of direction uh, before we um, confess our faith and prepare. Uh, first is this, we've arranged communion a little bit differently. When you come forward, you will find we have a tray with bread and we've made it a little bigger so that you can simply take it and dip it in the common cup and then take it. There will be uh, the single pack here if you want to come forward and get those. Uh, if those don't work for you, they'll also be serving in the back. So we've got a number of options. But I wanted to let you know about this uh, change we're going to try this week. Um, second thing is this, that if you're at home, take a moment right now, even as we prepare, and prepare to partake right where you are. The good news about the Lord's Supper is what counts here is not that I'm in charge, but that Jesus is present. So for us here and for those of you at home, Jesus can make this connection. Finally, we encourage families, feel free to come together, and we try to equip families to navigate our children growing up in a knowledge of the faith as they gather in that way. So we leave that to families. Uh, everyone is welcome and invited. I like to set this Heidelberg Catechism question number 80 as a statement of the meaning of communion that we've held for centuries. So let's use this and uh, speak together. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who is with his true body, is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. Because the activity here is a spiritual activity, and because the realm of the Spirit is reality, we join with something bigger than simply our memory or a tradition or a custom. For on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Paul would write, I also pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on that night took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is now the new covenant made in my blood, the true and perfect blood of the incarnate Son of God. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, we're called to receive the sacrament, the bread and the cup, in, we translate it, worthy or an appropriate manner. We ought to examine ourselves, Paul writes, before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. To come at the invitation of Jesus is to come on his terms. And that means by grace alone. We don't come here after a week of good behavior or after a week of effective self-reflection. We come acknowledging that we are sinners who need a savior and that we have found that savior in the person of Jesus.
In the Scottish tradition, they often talk about this moment as a fencing of the table to make sure that only some get in. I think in light of the whole scripture, we ought to think of it more as an invitation. Jesus died to invite us, but he invites us on his terms. People who receive communion by faith are telling the world, I'm a mess, even if you don't know the details. But Jesus is my hope. That's the invitation to come on his terms. For it's Jesus who said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Serve and follow him. Let his life be your hope. And he welcomes you. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, in this moment, attune us to your presence. It will not be so much in the physicality of this bread and cup, but in the reality of the Spirit. And so meet us as our faith reaches out to you that we might receive all the grace we need for life and for living. Here be our refreshment. Here be our forgiveness. Here be our guidance. Here be our hope. Here be our healing. Here be our God. We thank you that we join those who've gone before us, a table, as it were, of more languages than we'll ever learn, more people than we've ever known, more sinners <laughs> than we could ever recognize, and yet we are with them. Thank you for this moment. Gracious Father, by the promise of your written word and by your presence as the Holy Spirit, meet us here, we pray, as we remember your Son, his death, and his resurrection. We pray in the mighty and singular name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. I'm going to ask that those who will be administering the sacrament, if you'd come forward and get the plate and the cup, and we'll get things settled, and then I'll call people to come forward kind of row by row. There's no need to be a rush. Okay. And we'll ask you, the body of Christ broken for you and for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us receive this day the grace of our living God. Amen.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you've loved us with a never failing, never ending, all encompassing, overwhelming love. Thank you that that love is extended to us because of who you are, not because of what we have done. But the freedom of that grace empowers us to receive in deep and profound ways that we can lay aside the wounds that the world has visited upon us and we might extend forgiveness, that we can have a hope for justice even in a world that's broken, that we can live our lives with a generosity because we live under the shadow of a great provider. That your spirit works in us a kindness that has a deeper concern for the other than we do for ourselves. A humility because all that we are has been a gift. So work in your people the fruit of your Holy Spirit that the world might see and, and wonder and then hear from us the name Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Savior, rescuer, brother. Thank you for your kindness. Father, we thank you that this love, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, is true and reliable. Help us to grow and deepen our roots in that. Hear our voices as together we lift in gratitude this reflection. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto thee. Hymn number 348. Let's stand and sing as our amen.
now receive the benediction from the book of Numbers. It would have been Moses who first wrote this and first began to speak this over God's people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, that's the proper name of the God revealed in the Bible, not just generic deity. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen.